Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Beyond the Brand Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alex Boudreaux, here with usual host, Evan Pabuda. First, I'd like to say happy belated Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Although being a father sounds super duper awesome, I will continue to wrap up Johnny Boy because I'm having a hard enough time supporting myself. But we are all grateful for all of you and we thank you. On this lovely 90 degree day with no air conditioner in sight, sweating bullets, we welcome American actor, film director, producer, and screenwriter known for his physically imposing frame in action and crime genre movies, Bill Duke. I don't want to give too much away, but I would like to congratulate him as the newest member of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, along with actor and singer Wayne Brady. Brucey boy, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Recording out of New York City, New York, welcome to the Undisputed Greatest podcast in the world beyond the brand uh, like hop right into it uh want to thank you for coming on the show we really appreciate your time here um glad being here uh big fan of yours uh so thank just kind of take us through uh, we're going to go in chronological order. So just kind of take us through your upbringing, as you mentioned before. You were born in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, kind of take us through your upbringing, um, some of the stuff you went through, and then kind of how you got into acting. I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York, upstate New York, um, at a time of segregation. Um, faced a number of issues based upon um, uh, my race, my skin color. Uh, I fortunately had great parents who never let you use an excuse for not accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish. So my mother and father never took public assistance. My father worked three jobs and mother worked two jobs, um, sometimes six days a week. So we were brought up with principles of not only self-survival, um, not only self-survival, but of self-regard also. So um, I went through a great deal. Um, uh, fortunately, I was able to go to Dutchess Community College and a, and a teacher named Constance Kewen. She was the head of the speech and drama department. <clears throat> I took classes in speech and drama and she put me in a play called The Emperor Jones and uh, Eugene O'Neill. And uh, I got the bug, you know, I got, I really liked it. You know, I really enjoyed it. But um, I told my parents I was thinking about being an actor. They thought I was out of my mind. The only person then was really Sidney Poitier. Um, um, there were others before him, but he was the main person. And, out of hundreds of actors on screen, he, that was him. So, they, so I was uh, tall, dark-skinned, shy. I used to write a journal. And so um, they say, you like writing. Why don't you become a, an English teacher? Because English teachers become, they make money. And so I applied for Boston University, got in. 
the Martin Luther King Scholarship and went to BU. Um, and one of the classes I had to take, not putting him down, is Chaucer. I don't know if you know Chaucer's writing or not, but um, I was so bored I fell asleep in the class twice. And then um, the teacher said, if you fall asleep another time, I'm kicking you out. And I did. <laughs> so he kicked me out of the class. And uh, my uh, friend Israel Hicks at the time said, you always talk about this acting thing. There's a guy named Lloyd Richards up at the drama department. She should go up an audition with your Eugene O'Neill thing. I said, nah. After a month or so, I said, okay, I'll try. I went up there and auditioned. I got in to School of Drama at Boston University. And as I say many times, I, I'm glad there was no internet or no real, how can I say, uh, ability to see me. But the next semester, I was dancing across a ballet floor in tights. Um, that is not a very pretty sight to see. But uh, BU had a very thorough program. And Lloyd Richards was one of the first, was the first black director on Broadway, on Broadway Raising the Sun. And um, they taught drama and speech and acting. Uh, they taught movement, they taught everything. And from a theatrical, theater point of view, that's how I got into acting. Yeah, so what, what was like the turning point or what influenced you to be like, you know, I want to pursue in this degree and, you know, pursue in this career? I think uh, Lloyd Richards was really uh, a mentor to me and he had faith in me. Um, I became his assistant and I came out to uh, Los Angeles um, to be his assistant on a, a uh, feature on a film on PBS called Gold Watch, which was about the internment of the Japanese during World War II. And um, I was going to go back to New York and he said, no, you stay here. I have faith in you. I think there's something here for you. So I took his advice and I stayed and was very fortunate. And um, so you, you mentioned too that your parents kind of gave you a hard time in the beginning. When was like the turning point for them? When did they start to fully support you going to do that? Well, they were always nervous and afraid uh, for me uh, because they loved me. They didn't want me to fail. They didn't want me to, and they knew that, you know, this was not an easy road. But, you know, once they saw me in a couple of things, like, you know, TV shows or whatever, you know, they started, oh, well, let's pray that you um, make it through, you know. Mm -hmm. And they were very, very supportive in those ways. Gotcha. And then, so what would you say was your first big uh, breaking point, like your first big break in acting, where you started to get some more notoriety? Car wash. Uh, who was uh, directed by the great Michael Schultz, who's still directing, great people. So Car Wash was the first major thing that I, um, and then after that, I think it was American Gigolo. And then after that, I think it was uh, Commando, then Predator. And uh, from an acting point of view, yes, those were, those were the... What was the process behind, you know, coming from Broadway, then going right into the car wash role? 
it's a that's a great question um, because people think acting is acting, um, but when you're when you're when you're on the stage, there's only one camera, the proscenium. That's you know you just have one camera, and the audience just sees one thing. Mm. But but when you're doing a film, there's the proscenium, and then you have the option of going closer and getting a two shot or whatever it is, and over the shoulders and extreme close-ups, etc. So that when you edit it, you have options in terms of how the audience finally sees the product. When you're on stage, uh, <laughs> there's no take two. Yeah. You, you get one take, you're out there, and then you get your butt off and come back for the next scene or whatever, but it's just a different reality. And, and then there's another thing which is incredible too, performing in front of a live audience uh, with people that respond to you is an amazing experience. Um, film is great, but theater is, it's alive. Hmm. Was, there, was there ever a time when, when you went out there, like you said, it's, it's one take straight through, you're not editing anything. Was there ever a time where you remember like, wow, like I really fucked that up or you really messed something up? You mean in theater or film? In theater, because you can't edit it, right? Like in front of a group of people and how did that, how did that affect you? Well, I mean, you know, when you fall bad in front of an audience or you forget your lines or whatever and it's embarrassing, yeah. you don't forget them again. Yeah. yeah, it's like a learning lesson, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that it's, it's, it's like, so you want to go to school? That's, that's the school you go to. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you, you fall down and then you get up. Yeah, makes sense. So take us through some of those, those other films you mentioned. Like you, you had gone on to be in uh, Commando and Predator. Um, what was it like working with a guy like like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and some of these other guys? I know um, in American uh, Gigolo, it was Richard Greer. Richard Greer was in that movie as well. Like, take us through some of those big names and the guys you worked with. I was very fortunate uh, to work with like somebody like Richard Gere, for example. In the beginning, he he Richard Gere is one of the most thousand percent committed act actors I've ever met. I mean. You, when he's doing something on the screen, he gives a thousand percent and he helps you grow because, you know, when you're responding to not what is written in the script, but who he becomes from that script, his surrender to the being of that human being, that forces you to do a similar because if you don't, you, you cannot stay in the same space. You can't act, you have to become. Mm. And so he was a humble person, good people. It was great working with him. Um, Arnold is one of the kindest spirits I've ever met, you know, and um, we went through a lot uh, in uh, Mexico. We're talking about in the summer, sometimes the Temperatures over 100 degrees. And the first week that we were there, first two weeks, the caterer used to put netting around the tent. That's where we ate. We always find bugs in our food. And um, we would say, take this crap back. We're not eating it. There's bugs in it. 
since it was no more food by the second week, it was called protein. It's crazy. Because that there's nothing else to you know, nothing else to eat. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. And so it was people look at the filming businesses as, you know, so glamorous, but when you're in the jungle for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And uh Sunny Lana, I think, was bitten by a scorpion. Uh, there were scorpions, there were snakes, there were curl snakes, which were one bite that we were crawling on our stomach. A curl snake would pass right in front of you. And it was, um, it, it was, it was uh, a challenging experience, but a brotherhood came out of it. And so that's what I appreciated. So do you still have a relationship with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Pardon me? you still have a relationship with Arnold Schwarzenegger today? Yes, yes. He and I uh, celebrated the 30th, I think, anniversary of um, Predator at the Egyptian Theater. That was last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of folks showed up. It was fun. That's cool. So it was, was like, you know, action, thrillers, was that something you always wanted to get into? Um, you know, I just, how can I say, I... I like good scripts with great ideas, you know, that are compelling in some way. And that was something, you know, um, that was something, how can I say? You know, no matter how good an actor you are, if you have a good script, forget about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're not working with other good actors, it's, it's you know, it's, it's very difficult. Um, but fortunately, I've been very fortunate to be able to work on some good scripts and with good actors. And that, that, that's, it's fulfilling, but it's also a growth experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because, because you can't, it's not just about the check, it's about the quality of work that you're doing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. So would you say there was like a lot of films that you turned down? Not a lot, but some I turned down because um, uh, I could afford to at that time. And number two, the characters, I guess, were not people I wanted to portray. And so... So what, what was it like playing a gay pimp in American Gigolo? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. Is you played a wide wide range of different types of characters. Yeah, how like fully invested do you get into it when you're not filming? Like, like a lot of people... I read a lot of stories of actors who kind of get invested beyond it, like in their, in their regular life. And like they try and live as closely to that lifestyle as they can when they're portraying a role. So kind of take me through that, how you prepare for these roles in such wide, wide ranges. Well, for me, uh, you know, I teach acting also and for year, many years now. And, um, I think people misunderstand the acting process. Um, there are different kinds of acting techniques. Um, but the one I've embraced is, you know, you learn the lines. That's not part of your mind anymore. You, you have the lines down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for anybody who's been through the creative process, whether it's a writer, director, producer, um, actor, artist, painter, whatever it is, I know this is going to sound strange, but after you have prepped properly and done all you can 
something else begins to take over. And it's something within you. It's part of the creative process. And it only happens after you surrender. And I equate surrender as falling into darkness backward. Mm-hmm. Falling into darkness backward. You don't know where you're going to land or how you're going to land. But there's something that takes you through it. I know that sounds a little strange, mm-hmm. but uh, that's how I do it. Gotcha. And See, it's, it's not what you're prepared to do. It's what are you giving when you're on the set with that other actor and responding to what he or she is bringing you? Yeah. See, some people think that, okay, whatever I rehearse, that's what I'm going to do. So it, it makes no difference what the a- other actors do. They just do what they rehearsed. That's a whole different process than being there. Um, So you did, you were in all these movies. So what what, um, made you want to get into producing? Kind of the difference between, you know, acting role and uh, the difficulty between that and producing a movie. Well, I, I, I've directed more than I produced. And uh, the, what directing and producing do, what, what directing gives me the opportunity not only to say the lines that I've been given by, you know, a director or a writer, but it gives me the ability to shape a vision as a director and producer to be able to speak about things that I really feel strongly about. And it's something that I feel very fortunate to have done and continue to do. I love acting, but directing and shaping a story and creating a story arc and character arcs and what are you talking about and how do you want the, what do you want the audience to get out of this? It's a fascinating and complex um, uh, discipline, but it's it's wonderful. So, take me through this too. Backtrack a little bit because Bill, we we cut this up and we put it in the order of things that we talk about. Um, take, I, I saw something online about you were when you were trying to get into acting and the money was low. You were actually you were panhandling and selling. I don't know if you're selling or using drugs as well. Can you take us a little bit through the trials and troubles that you went through just trying to get in there and break into the industry? Well, I never sold drugs. Um, But, you know, this is a business of rejection. Right. And people tell you to get over it and have tough skin. But if you ask some of the most famous actors or, or producers, directors, writers, whatever, uh, they will tell you that rejection creates pain uh, in terms of how you think about yourself, how you think about your true talents, maybe they're right and the rest of it. And after a while, that, that pain 
that rejection turns into pain and you try to kill the pain. Uh, some people try to kill it with drugs, some with alcohol, I mean, whatever, but I did a little bit of both. So it was, there were some very difficult times. So they couldn't pay my rent, not really enough money for real food. And so I, desperate people do desperate things. And one day I was digging on the street and this older black lady was coming past me and I said, ma'am, can I have some change please? She looked at my face and she just passed by. I asked, asked another person, another person for change and I felt a tap on my back and I turned around and it was this same older black lady. She was like her late 70s, early 80s. And I said, now, oh, you got change for me? And she just looks at me and looked at me. And she didn't say anything. And she just looked in my eyes. And then out of her mouth, she said this. She said, baby, do your mama know you are here doing this? Uh, I never begged on the street again after that. Because really? my mother and father never begged for anything. It would have been a humiliation yeah. to our family and who they were and what they stood for. Mm -hmm. They would have felt that they had failed totally mm -hmm. if they saw me doing that. And how old were you around when this happened? Where in your career were you? Or this was before everything? Oh, uh, no, this was, this was, I think I was like 27, 25, 28, something like that. Yeah. Was that the point where you, you know, the drugs started to slow down a little bit? Well, what took me off the drugs was a friend of mine, Aida Tangamana, who's a yoga, who's a meditation teacher, a transcendental meditation, saw me sinking. She said, Bill, you know, it's getting, getting worse, man. You got to get off this stuff, man. And uh, I said, yeah, 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 leave me alone. You're happy. And so it got worse, and she came and said, Bill, just try it. And so, okay. She taught me transcendental meditation. I did it for a week or, or so. But I was still taking drugs and alcohol, and I was doing it. She came to me, and she said, hey, Bill. I love you very much, and I'll miss make a deal. She said, if you meditate for three straight weeks without taking any drugs or any alcohol, and you still don't want to meditate, I'll buy you an ounce of anything you want. I said, bet. <laughs> <laughs> So the, I so I did it the first week. Eh. The second week, I started feeling something focus and stress come out of my system that I hadn't experienced before. Then by the third week, I was, and I haven't done drugs or alcohol since that time. Wow, that's crazy. How, how long ago was that? 
see, I was probably 28 or 29, 30, I forgot, but wow. in my early 30s or late, late 20s. Pretty incredible. So, and then, I mean, obviously your, your acting career spanned over 40 years and you never once were again tempted to do it. Like, I mean, we've had some other actors on who dealt with some drug problems and they told us, you know, how hard it, it kind of sometimes when you're caught up in that life and you go to these, you know, red carpet parties, there was release parties and things after you never had that, that urge or wanted to, to go back to that, that lifestyle. Uh, you, you, I, for years I had the urge, but when I meditated, it focused me and took that tension away. And so, you know, it's, what this requires is business really for you to be successful on long, in the long term mm -hmm. is focus. And, you know, focus and I used to think that wisdom was at a certain age you knew everything because you've been through everything and you're wise and that's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. But when you're when you live it and you see that you never know everything and there's something beyond the intellect. I think the intellect is overrated, to be honest with you. Uh, because I respect the intellect, but there's something much larger than the intellect. Um, there's something much larger than our perception of the world. I do research, etc. sometimes, or people just send me information, but a few years ago, I found out that not only do we know, we don't know how many planets there are, we don't even know how many galaxies there are. Think about it. We, we don't know how many galaxies there are. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we think we're the center of the universe? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's crazy to think about. I mean, so when you understand that, it gives you a different perspective of reality. Mm -hmm. Because we're like, we're like this. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, I just, for me, at my age, um, I'm still researching and finding and learning and appreciating not every day, but every moment. I love that. I love it's that. like, I love, you know, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, singer Chris Allen? No, not for now. Chris Allen has an incredible song. It's called Live Like You're Dying. Right now, live. Check it out. Live like you're dying. So, do do you still meditate to this day? Twice a day, every day. Awesome. Saves my life, and and the life of others that mess with me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I I just pulled up the song. I, I I'm gonna check it out after. I'm looking at the lyrics right now. But no, yeah, I actually, I was, I was watching one of your interviews um, and you said it. I feel like this is a perspective that 
I mean, I've started to realize because it's some people that I look up to have, have brought it to light. And like, I heard you say it and some other people that we've interviewed have, have agreed too. is like one, like we're all going to die one day. So you might as well appreciate everything and everything that we have going on in the moment, which I think this time of us being like quarantined like this has opened a lot of people's eyes to that. So I definitely, I love like what you're saying. I love the mentality behind it. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I'm definitely going to check out that song now. You know, it's a, it brings another thought to my mind, you know, um, why I think, you know, gender, prejudice, um, racism, um, classism are some of the most ridiculous ways of thinking and behaving in life. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, if you're a racist, you're really an idiot because what you don't understand is that in the final analysis, we're all the same color. Mm -hmm. We're just a grayish kind of white. It's called a skeleton. Yeah. So in other words, if you two guys die and I die and we're buried and our flesh goes from our bones after 15 years. Uh, is there a different color between your bones and my bones? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So what in the hell are we talking about? Yeah. Right. yeah at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It do <laughs> doesn't. Yeah. No, I love that, that mindset, the mentality. Uh, I think it's great. But yeah. Um, so let's go now, leading, we'll segue because we kind of got a little deep there, but um, take us through some of the outside of acting. Like obviously it's given you a platform, but take us through some of the stuff and whether it be philanthropy work, um, social work, things that you do outside of it or have been active in. Um, take us through some of that stuff. I have a foundation called the Duke Media Foundation. You can go online, dukemediafoundation.org. And we teach high school students um, from the age of like 14 to 18. Two things, uh, media literacy, because a lot of them are interested in, you know, acting, directing, producing, writing, etc. But they're not aware of the business of the industry and how it, the paradigm shift that's occurred. And we're talking about Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, now AT&T, Google, YouTube, Red. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, and how you can now um, not wait to be discovered, but you can discover yourself. Yeah, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It was a podcast. I mean, uh, it was a just a, a, a series online, and then Dan DeVito saw it. And it's been on for for nine years over. Yeah, uh, Issa Rae was just doing these small things online. And now she's at an HBO deal mm. with projects. I mean, they, they didn't wait. Yeah. And so we teach young people, okay, you still have to learn the craft, but the platform that wasn't there when I was there exists now. I remember the first cell phone. I saw the first cell phone. It was this big. 
my dad my dad told me about it he's like it was literally like that big you, you know what i'm saying we had to carry a box with it yeah, yeah that's what he said <laughs> so, i'd be in his passenger seat in his car in the big box that's exactly and we thought we were the coolest guys in the world you know what i mean uh but and you know when i grew up there were only three channels cbs abc and nbc and guess what happened at midnight static yeah after the Star Spangled Banner. Mm -hmm. So a lot has changed, and this new media platform has given us access to, to globally. Absolutely. So we teach that. The second thing we teach is financial literacy, because Gee. people are basically taught how to spend a dollar, but not how to use a dollar. Yeah. And in our business, it's a roller coaster for most people, up and down, you know, keep working, you're not working, da 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 da. So how do you leverage what you make into protecting you when you're not working? And so we bring in Karen A. Clark from City National Bank, she's a VP there, and she, and parents come to those too. And we teach that because many never had a relationship with a banker before. And we really teach them the whole what is Wall Street? What is, what are stocks? What are bonds? What is, um, you know, what is debt? What is credit? What is compound interest? What is, you know, we teach them everything we, that we can probably give them about financial literacy so that they leave with an understanding that it's very important to think about your future in terms of how do you use money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And then you're, you're so right, because you think back to when you started acting and how hard it was for you to get a break. Like here and now, people are, can blow up on social media, they can blow up on YouTube. There's so many opportunities and avenues people could take. Now I think it's great. One, and the financial side of it. I mean, we had, a, uh, we had a, an NFL guy on a couple of weeks back, and he literally was talking to us about how the NFL provides them now with these financial literacy classes, which is like, it's free. And it's like literally you have to save and use the dollars that you're making because you know it's not going to be there forever. Just like acting or any other any other profession really can be taken that's right. That's right. in an instant. So um, no, I think it's great. I think that's that's awesome. It sounds great. It's based out of LA as well. Based out of LA now. I want to take it national at some point, but I want to you know it's a legacy I want to leave. It's something that's very very important to me. Yeah. We have to contribute to the future of our children, you know, because. Um, Absolutely. And, and we, we've talked about this too, uh, with, former, with some actors we've had on here. It's like, acting was, it's such a beautiful art. It's such a beautiful thing. And it's like, growing up, if you're like an athlete or one of those things, it's kind of like frowned upon almost. I think, like something like that, something like that was nationwide. And young kids started acting at a younger age. It wouldn't be as looked at as, I think it's better getting better now, but as when, we, when I was growing up and he was growing up, it was like, it's kind of frowned upon to, to do that, you know, by a lot of people. And I think a national organization or a foundation like that would, would make it more, I don't want to say acceptable because it, it is acceptable. It's just more open-minded for people to not be so narrow on, on the way they feel about it. So exactly. I, think, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, no, so I, I, time's winding down here. I don't want to hold you for too long, but yeah. Um, talk to us about, the few organizations that you're a member of, the Board of Trustees? Uh, I'm a, a member of the, um, you know, Angelis um, 
Eccles, she has been, it's called Educating Young Minds, and she's been doing it for over 20 years, and children from all parts of the world uh, come to her school. It's an after-school program, and um, she prepares people for tests, children who have learning issues, um, children who have no self-confidence um, are bullied, um, children of different languages. She has given them after-school education that really give, it, it's, it's like, it's miraculous. And so I'm on that board. Um, and I'm happy to be a part of that. She's an inspiration. She really is. Really cycles. Um, but I'm not, can I say, not the most social person in the world, so I'm very selective in terms of what I've become a part of. Um, but there are things that I believe in that I want to support. I'm a big supporter of veterans because I live downtown LA. If you go to Skid Row and see the homeless, a good proportion of those homeless people are veterans. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, that should never, ever, ever be. When those people go to countries and fight for our nation, some of them come back disabled, mentally, spiritually, or physically. As far as I'm concerned, they, when they come back, they should never have to worry about anything for the rest of their lives. Their children should be taken care of in terms of their education. Their housing should be taken care of. And whatever psychological care they need should be taken care of. They should never be homeless. Mm -hmm. It's extremely disturbing to me that I see that. And I don't think enough is being done about it to make a difference. And that's very disturbing. You see that a lot in New York too. Like we, I mean, like you said, we're over here. You see it everywhere. Um, but I agree. It's definitely something that needs to be um, brought brought more attention to. I definitely don't hear enough about it. Um, and it's, it's a shame, really. Like you said, these people go out there and they put their lives on the line for us. Um, and you know, that's like the least we can do for them. So, totally agree. But uh, Bill, take us through. You know, before we let you go. Uh, what's next? You, know, you, you mentioned you're still learning a lot. You still have a lot going on, a lot playing. Like, wh like, what else is next aside from trying to grow the foundation and be involved with these other things? Like, what's next for you? Whether it be acting, maybe some other side ventures. Well, I started out as a writer, and so uh, my book is out. Nice. And uh, you know, you can get the audio book on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, etc. Tell folks about that. Bill Duke, forty years on screen and behind the camera. Um, and um, like people to, to, to check it out, not just for sales, but I try to give information and tidbits to people who are coming into the industry in terms of not only what I've been through, but how the industry has changed. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully they can read it, get something out of it, or the audio book, which is on Kindle, and I think uh, Amazon also. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I'm also a poet, so I'm launching my own network. And it's coming out in the next, I would say, 90 days. 
and it's a network called, uh, you know, Web9. And under that, I have different channels. And one is called Insights, and I have interviews with some pretty well-known people, which I'm we're editing now. Nice. And that's going to be launching pretty soon. Um, I have a children's book also um, that I put together called The Journey. And it's uh, for children of all ages, they call it. Because I think we all are children of all ages. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that too. So, you know, and I have, you know, developing, directing projects, you know, that I want to get out there, you know, um, things that I've been developing for years, just trying to get them funded, get them distributed like everybody else. But as you know, it's a challenge, but you don't never give up. You just keep on going. Yeah. And so, right. even at my age, you know, I just, I love work. I love what I do. You know, that's, and that's, it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, but uh, I never want to stop working. Because it doesn't feel like work to you, right? <laughs> it's not work, you know, and most of my, my friends that, retire uh, as soon as they retire something something shuts down in them you know it's something the body also the body like says are we finished okay so <laughs> uh, but I mean I don't want to retire exactly no, I love that uh, it's honestly it's inspirational <laughs> to hear someone like uh, you know of your stature say that it's but I mean, congratulations and all that. I wish you the best of luck with it. Uh, Thank you. We'll definitely be on the lookout for it. We'll be promoting it for you. Um, the, book, you. the TV network, everything. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. And, you know, we're actually probably going to send you out a little thank you, a uh, little shirt as a thank you for uh, coming on the show. I really appreciate your time, Bill. Thank you for having me, Ben. Yeah. Thank you for the great questions and, and uh, continued success. Yeah. 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 Appreciate it. I need you to hate me. America got a thing for this gangster. They love me. Black chuckers, black scully, leather Pele Pele. I take spit over rainbow. I'm a fan who got that silver duct tape on my. The women in my life bring confusion. So, like Nino and New Jack, I'll cancel that. Look at me. This is the life I chose. Around me so cold, man, my heart gun froze. I build an empire on a load of knocks. Don't know I'm the weatherman. I take that cocoa leaf and make that snow. Sit back, watch it turn the dough, watch it go out the dough. O after O, you know, homie, I'm just triple beam dreaming. Scheming, I feel to live the good life. The fiends are just feeling. Conceal my weapon nice and neat so you can't see. The penitentiary is definitely out the question for me. I want to find a day in my life. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.